0: All right, Galatians chapter 5, starting in verse 16, reading through the end of the chapter. Paul says here, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other, to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But, if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another and envying one another. Okay. So a brief recap from last time. Uh, we looked at verses 7 through 15. It's kind of hard how to break these sections up. You know, depending, your Bible might have headings in some places, and and sometimes the headings are useful, sometimes the headings break up thoughts. It, it, it's, a lot of times it feels like a crapshoot, you know, <laughs> where, where to end and where to pick up. Uh, some commentaries I was looking at, uh, you know, they look at verses 13 through 18 and then pick up in verse 19 for the next section, so... Um, it's all one thought. It's all one argument Paul is making here as he is making his appeal now to the, to the Galatians after having made his argument, really, his main argument in ver- uh, chapters 3 and 4, kind of heading in, into chapter 5. He, he, he has made his main argument that works of the law cannot justify, that works of the law are antithetical to the promises, that they are antithetical to the inheritance that you are to receive. That works of the law are going backwards, if you will. Uh, you are abandoning Christ. You're making him null and void if you decide that you're going to become justified through works of the law. Then in the section we looked at last time, verses 7 through 15, he kind of chides them a little bit. He says, you were running well. Who hindered you? Who cut in front of you? Who impeded your progress? Uh, in, in, in in this path that you've been running, in this race that you've been running, someone has come in and they've impeded your progress. He talks about a little leaven, leavening the whole lump. A little bit of false teaching in the church will spread throughout the whole church. So in other words, you, know, you need to cut that person off. You need to remove them. That's the argument he makes at the end of chapter 4 when he talks about the allegory between Sarah and Hagar what, what did they do with with Ishmael when it when it became apparent that there might be competition for the inheritance, they cast him out right they 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 gave him a little bit of you know here 's a little bit to go and 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 you are now removed from the family so Paul says a little leaven leavens a whole lump, but he has confidence in them he has confidence in them because he knows that the gospel that he preached the first time through was well received. We saw that also uh, in chapter uh, three and four, where he was well received. Um, that they would have given him the shirts off their backs, metaphorically speaking, um, when he first arrived there. Um, and then he, of course, then he says, "Look, if 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 I, you know, if anyone comes in preaching circumcision, you might as well just." Go the whole way, right? In verse 12, I wish that those who unsettle you would emasculate themselves. Very, very graphic, you know, the way Paul uh, describes that, but he's, you know, I mean, he starts off the letter that way, right? If anyone comes in and preaches a different gospel, let that person be accursed. He's not, making, he's not saying, let's try to live and let live. Let's try to, you know, let's try to get along, you know, keep an eye on them. What they're, no, he says, no, get them out. That person should be accursed. If they're coming in with a different gospel, you need to remove that person. In fact, he says, if I come in and preach a different gospel, you need to, you need to remove me. So when it comes to the gospel, there's no live and let live. There's no middle ground. It's you're, you're either for it or you're against it. And then he goes on in verses 13-15 through 15 to talk about for freedom. The freedom that you have in Christ, you have to hold on to. But, he says, it's not a license for liberty. So now he's kind of switching, or, or for, for libertinism, I should say. Uh, it's not a license for sin. Uh, so he's, you know, he's done kind of arguing against the, 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 the legalists. Now he's looking at those who are, who are the licentious ones, the, the, the libertines, the antinomians, those who are against the law. It's like, do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. And there he brings up the, the law of love. It's like, no, through love you serve one another. That's what you've been set free to. You've been set free to serve one another in love. You've been free to, to love your neighbor as yourself. Now he's going to continue this thought in the passage we have before us. And he, where he, here he talks about the daily struggle, the lifetime struggle, if you will, that the believer has with his own flesh. Uh, the, you have these two opposing principles at work, at war within you. And he's like, you've got to walk by the Spirit or else you're going to gratify the desires of the flesh. You, you can't, you know, again, there's, there's no middle ground here. There's no neutral zone. You're either walking by the Spirit or you're doing works of the flesh. So he's going to get into that Uh, This morning as we're going to look at this passage. It's a great passage. Um, We're going to be referencing Romans quite a bit because what Paul says here in Galatians he expands on in Romans. Romans is again a later letter and Romans is not written in in the sense that it's not written to combat heresy or to combat error. It's more of an introductory letter that Paul has sent to uh, the church in Rome because he desires to visit them. So he's in a way, it's kind of he's introducing himself through the letter of Romans saying, here's the gospel that I preach, and this is what I desire to minister to you when I come there. This is a, a letter more geared toward a polemic. He is, he is, he is uh, arguing against error here. He's, ar- he's, he's pleading with the Galatians who have slipped into an error, and he, that's why he's, he's very short, he's very to the point, and, and, and sometimes he's actually very harsh. Because again, the 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 central folk, the central issue that they're uh, slipping up on is the gospel. This is not like in Corinth where they had a whole bunch, a whole boatload of sins, and he dealt with those as as well. But here, this is this is a a core issue to the gospel because it's the gospel itself. So, as we look at this passage this morning, um, the theme I have here is the life of the Christian is a warfare between the flesh and the spirit. The life of the Christian is a warfare between the flesh and the spirit. And you see here in verses 16 through 18, the constant battle, the constant battle, where he says, but I say walk by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh, for the desires of the flesh are against the spirit, and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh, for these are opposed to each other. To keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. So, Paul just previously introduced uh, the idea that our freedom in Christ is not a freedom to sin. We saw that last time, verse 13. For you were called to freedom, brothers, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. Now, he's going to f- flesh this out, no pun intended. He's going to flesh this out now in verses 16 through 26. And he begins in verse 16 with the imperative that we are to walk by the Spirit. If, but I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify. That, I'm not sure, that doesn't seem like the best translation there. Um, what's that? That's a better translation. Fulfill. Uh, the word is teleo. It means essentially to sort of complete, to accomplish. Uh, you will not fulfill the desires of the flesh. Um, so, walk by the Spirit and you will not fulfill or complete the desires of the flesh. Now, if you are with us through Romans, and, and even some, in some cases through Corinthians, but really in Romans, what we see here now again is this dichotomy that Paul uh, presents between the flesh and the Spirit. This is a big theme in Paul's writings the flesh and the Spirit. These are two um, principles that are opposed to one another. The flesh, now the word flesh has several meanings, like you know, any word in any language, uh, you know, there's not just one definition to it. Sometimes they have a range of meanings. And flesh sometimes just means the flesh, the, 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 your physical body. Uh, but sometimes flesh means the sinful principle or the sinful part of your, your physical existence. And that's kind of what Paul is using this phrase here, the flesh, Four. It's the sinful principle that is at work in you. It is that thing that is corrupted in you because of the fall. It's a principle that is at work in every person born into this world. It is, it is a principle then that sort of engages in a battle within the believer once they are born again, once they are revived, regenerated by the Holy Spirit. Now there's this battle, right? Okay, okay. I like to use the example of World War II, when the Allies landed on Normandy Beach. They sort of, for all intents and purposes, the war was over. But there was still another year of fighting, right? <laughs> and some of that fighting was some of the most intense fighting in the history of that war. Some, as the Germans were you know, sort of with their backs against the wall, uh, there was still a lot of fighting to go. And that's the same thing. It's like at the cross... You have the definitive victory over sin and death and and this world, right? Jesus overcomes through the cross and we overcome through Christ. But now we're in this battle, okay? Now, it's a battle we're eventually going to win because whether the Lord takes us home or he returns and we're glorified, we're going to win this battle. But we're in a battle, okay? (laughs) Do not neglect this, that we are in a warfare Paul says this in Ephesians 6, we're in a spiritual warfare. And here we are in a war within ourselves. You've got the flesh against the spirit, the spirit against the flesh. They are opposed to one another, these two principles, and in, in, with which we find ourselves in a constant struggle, daily struggle, moment-by-moment moment struggle. Now, Paul here uses the, a metaphor: walk by the spirit. Uh, the word literally just means to walk, to progress, to, you know, to move, <laughs> to be in motion. Um, and it's a metaphor that describes how one conducts one's life. Walking is a lifestyle. Walking is a pattern of living. Right? If you're in motion, you're going in a direction. That's the idea. You're walking, you're moving in a, in, in a direction. It's a pattern of living. And walking by the Spirit, then, is a life that is characterized by the Spirit. It is a life that is led by, governed by, and submitted to the Holy Spirit. So here's where we will take our first foray into the book of Romans. So please turn back to Romans 8. I'm actually going to preach on this passage next week for Pentecost. Romans 8, 1 through 11. But I'm going to be looking at verses 4 through 8. 4 through 8 of Romans 8. And here, Paul's talking about life in the Spirit. So in Paul's progression through Romans you can almost say Romans 8 is the end of his you know his 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 doctrinal teaching then he goes you know Romans 9 through 11 is a bit of an excursus and then he goes into the practical section starting in in chapter 12 but really Romans 8 kind of concludes the argument that he he has been making since middle of chapter 1 where you know the we we are You know, the wrath of God is being revealed against our sin. No one is righteous, but a righteousness of God appears apart from the law in Christ Jesus. Then he shows how Abraham was justified by faith. He shows how we have peace through God, with God through faith. He shows how because of our justification, we are dead to sin and alive to God. Romans 7, again, there that talks about the battle. But then he talks about now life in the Spirit in chapter 8. And in verse 4, um, I'll start in verse 3. Middle of the sentence. I hate middle of the sentence verses. Um, For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. Now, again, that comes right out of Galatians as well, right? Where he says, you know, the law, you cannot be justified by the law. And here Paul says why? Because the law is weakened by your flesh. In your flesh, you can't keep it. The law requires 100% justification. Uh, success rate, and because of our flesh, the law, in a sense, becomes weakened. It, it It cannot do what it intended to do. So the law, God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. So Jesus comes in, he fulfills the law, and condemns sin in his flesh by the crucifixion. "...in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh but according to the Spirit." Again, there's that, those two principles at work there. So the righteous requirement of the law, its perfect fulfillment, has been fulfilled for us because of Christ. And now it's, it's, it's credited to us, uh, it's credited to those who walk not according to the flesh but according to the Spirit." those whose lives are governed by the Spirit, who are led by the Spirit not led or governed by the flesh. Verse 5, For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. To set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law, indeed it cannot, Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. And then he goes on in verse 9, You are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. So this idea of walking by the Spirit is a life that is governed by, submitted to, and led by the Spirit. And I think what Paul is getting at here, of course, is that our sanctification, as much as our justification, is a work of faith, not of the flesh. You cannot sanctify yourself by the flesh. You cannot do works that then make you holy. Okay? It is the spirit working in and through you to bear fruit. We'll get to that in a moment. But you won't be sanctified by following rules. You won't be sanctified by following a checklist. You're sanctified by following the spirit, walking by the spirit. It is not a work of the flesh. And then it says, in such a person, the one who walks by the Spirit, they will not fulfill the desires of the flesh. They will not be completed. They will not be accomplished. The more you are led by the Spirit, the less you are accomplishing the works of the flesh. You are, you are as we will see later, you are mortifying the flesh. You are crucifying the flesh. So then playing off that, Paul highlights the battle, Uh, within, in verse 17. I said verse 7. It should be verse 17. Don't don't follow my notes. Uh, Verse 17. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. The flesh desires or lusts against the Spirit and vice versa, keeping us from doing the things that we want. Now, couple of things we could say about this. First, the battle is real. (laughs) The battle within is real. You cannot deny it. You cannot, and and if you think you're not in a battle, you might be a casualty of the battle. Uh, You are in a battle. As long as we're in the flesh, we're going to battle the flesh. As long as this body that we reside in, that we live in, has not been glorified. We are going to be struggling with the flesh. The flesh is essentially a doorway for sin to come in, for Satan to attack us, and the world to afflict us. And this battle only takes place in a Christian. Okay? The unbeliever is not worried about struggling against the flesh. They, they are indulging the flesh. Now, you might have some who are you know, ascetics or who are very disciplined or you know, maybe they're very stoic in their way of living. But again, they're not doing it for the glory of God. They're doing it for their own glory. So again, in denying the flesh, they're kind of feeding the flesh anyway. Martin Luther is the one who coined the phrase that the Christian, I'm going to use the fancy Latin, I'll translate it, but it's, a chance, it's an opportunity to use fancy Latin words. The Christian is simul justus and peccator. So the Christian is simultaneously justified and sinner. Okay? Now you're like, "Eh, what does that mean? Well, he means exactly that. That though you are declared righteous by faith, right? Remember, justification is a declaration. It is God declaring by faith that you are righteous. You are not inherently righteous. You are declared righteous by faith. And the reason you could do that is because Christ has fulfilled the law on your behalf. So then through faith, he can declare you righteous. But at the same time, you're still trapped in this flesh that is susceptible to sin. So you're at the same time a sinner, yet justified. Okay. Now, you will... Once, you know, once you, you're glorified, you don't have to worry about you. Then you'll just be justified. You'll be righteous. There will be no sinning part of you anymore because your body will be uh, spiritually fit for the kingdom. But until that time, we are struggling. And this also should be an argument against those who teach perfectionism, that somehow you can, in this life, combat and defeat sin completely. That is also a lie. This battle within uh, belies that, I think. Now, sin should not cause us to doubt. Uh, Sin is just a reality in the believer. The struggle with sin is a reality in the believer. Do not let it cause you to doubt. God is not surprised when you fail. Jesus is not, oh, I didn't didn't think you'd do that today. No, no, He, he knows this. He knows the struggle. That's why he came and did what he did. The struggle is evidence of the Spirit's work. Again, you don't see the struggle in the unbeliever. They're not struggling with this. Satan doesn't have to worry about trying to, to cause doubt. They're already in his camp. This struggle is only something that is happening because you are now alive to it. The Spirit has brought new life to you and now you see your sin for what it is. And then you struggle against it, and then you are you are uh, downhearted when when you fall into sin. You you are you are you know, it causes grief in your heart when you disappoint God when you fall into sin because you know that's not what you're supposed to do. You know again Romans seven, we we know this passage. We looked at this before as well, but again he highlights this and in, in, in goes into more detail in this as well but in Romans 7 starting in verse 14 for we know that the law is spiritual by that he means it comes from God it is based on God given by the spirit but i am of the flesh sold under sin this is Paul, okay? Now, a lot of people like to interpret this different ways. Uh, some say this is the, the unbeliever. Uh, unbeliever's not going to struggle like this, <laughs> I'm sorry. Uh, this is Paul uh, describing the battle within the Christian. I do not understand my own actions. You ever felt like that? <laughs> I do not understand my own actions. For I do not do what I want but I do the very thing I hate. Believer, do you understand that? (laughs) Does that characterize your life from time to time? Now, if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law. Okay. In other words, I recognize what I just did is sin, I agree with the law. I know that I'm wrong. I agree with the law that is good. So now, verse 17, so now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. By that, he's not, he's not saying it's not my fault. He's saying the regenerate part of me is not associated with that sin. It is still the flesh that I struggle with. It is sin that dwells within me. In this verse 18, this is key. For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but, the, but not the ability to carry it out. So that's the struggle in the flesh. okay. I recognize I want to do what is right, but when I look at my flesh, I realize I have no ability. Anybody here is a fan of old Star Trek? And then you've got Scotty who would always say, Captain, we do not have the power, okay? We do not have the power to captain. That's the flesh. You're trying to do what is right, and you realize I do not have the power to do what is right within me. All right, I cannot win this battle in my own strength. Verse 19, for I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want. That's what I keep on doing. Again, this is Paul speaking. Now if I do not do, sorry, for if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. Again, the redeemed part is not the one that is sinning, it's the flesh. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind, making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? That's the life of the believer in the flesh, okay? And then he concludes, Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself serve the law, with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. That's the battle. That's the battle in the flesh. The flesh is, is lusting and the flesh is, is waging war against the spirit, and the spirit is waging war against the flesh. But Then he goes on in verse 18 of Galatians 5. But, favorite word, but if you are led by the spirit, you are not Under the law. We're led if if the Spirit is guiding us, if the Spirit is leading us. Notice it's a passive. We are led by the Spirit, okay? Passive in grammar means that the action is being performed on you, okay? We are led by the Spirit. We are not under the law. Why? Because by the Spirit we fulfill the law. Also, that in Romans 8.4. Also, we see that in Galatians 5.14, for the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love, the neighbors, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. It is, it is through the, the freedom that we have, we, we are now free to serve one another. We are, we are by the Spirit, we fulfill the law. By, by the Spirit, the, the righteousness of Christ has been given to us, and the Spirit gives us the power then to fulfill the law. I mean, when God looks at us just by, our, by view of our justification, we are already law keepers. Not by our own works, but by the works of Christ. But again, being led by the Spirit, as I said, is passive. It's what I meant by when I said a life that is governed by, led by, and submitted to the Spirit. Now this has long baffled Christians, myself included, as to how uh, we ensure we're being led by the Spirit. How do I know I'm being led by the Spirit, right? You know, it's like, what do I got to? You know my my brain originally thought it's like, what do I got to do to make sure I'm led by the Spirit? And again, that's the wrong way to look at it. What do I have to do? Okay, <laughs> you know, again, that's that's our that's our fleshly way of thinking. What do I got to do to make sure I'm led by the Spirit? I think walking by the Spirit is equivalent way of what Paul says in Second Corinthians 5:17, where you walk by faith and not by sight. And I think that, that fits much more closely with the, uh, the whole point of Galatians, which is that the Christian life is a life of faith from beginning to end. That's why Paul loves to quote Habakkuk 2.4. The, you know, the righteous one shall live by faith. So it's a, you know, he says that in, in Romans 1, I believe, where he says that uh, the gospel is the righteousness of God from faith to faith. It's a life that begins in faith. It's a life that Continues of faith, and it's a life that ends in faith. Walk by faith. Walk by the Spirit. Really, I think those two are synonymous in a lot of ways. Well, let's move on. Verses 19 through 21, as we see now the works in the flesh. Because these next two points, works of the flesh, fruit of the Spirit, are. I think there's a very important contrast that Paul is making here. And he's making this contrast between works and fruit, works, and fruit. Works, that's the result of our own inherent ability. The word ergon, ergonomic, you know, you get you know, energy and, and other kind of root words from that. Uh, the word work means working something out in our own strength, working something out for our own inherent power. The other is a result of what is working in and through us, right? Fruit is something that is grown in you because you have life. You don't grow the fruit. The fruit is grown in you, and it's grown in you because you have life in you now. You, are, you have that vital, organic connection to the true vine, Jesus Christ, and then you will bear fruit. So works, our own strength, fruit, what is grown in us. Think about what we saw, uh, again, at the end of Romans or Galatians 4, this, this uh, an analogy, this allegory between Sarah and Hagar. Notice, if you remember that allegory, what was the, the, the main part of what Paul was trying to say? Well, it was, it says, what does Hagar and Ishmael represent? Well, that represents works of the flesh. That represents what happens when you try to take God's promise and accomplish it in your own strength. Right? You're not trusting in the promise of God to give you a child. You're saying, okay, God promised me a child... Now i got to get busy and try to make a child. All right, Sarah, you're, you're barren. Uh, we're going to have to go now. says, so, well, okay, take my, my servant. All right, we're going to work. We're going to do this. And exactly what happens is you produce a child of the flesh, a slave child, as Paul calls it here. He is the slave child. The child of promise is the one that comes not from your own efforts, It was through the promise of God. Now again, it it wasn't a miracle birth, it wasn't a virgin birth, but it was something that only God can open up the womb of Sarah and let her give birth. He said, you will have a child by your wife Sarah, not by Hagar. It's the same thing here. Works is what we do, fruit is what is done in and through us. So he says here, the works of the flesh are Evident, they're manifest. They are, they are what comes naturally through our own works. And what are they? Well, there's a list here. It's a kind of a very gross list, right? Sexual immorality. That's the word porneo, You get pornography from that. Impurity or uncleanness. Sensuality. Idolatry. Sorcery. Oddly enough, the word sorcery in the Greek is "pharmakeia." You get pharmaceutical. <laughs> um, Enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, and drunkenness, orgies, and, and then he says, and things like these. In other words, the list is not exhaustive. Paul could have kept going. He probably could have kept going for another chapter or two of works of the flesh. He says, it's like these things and other things like them. Now, I'm not going to spend the time, you know, you know, you read commentaries and you read all these things and they go through and they define each one of these. I think most of them are pretty self-explanatory. Sexual morality, right? Any kind of sexual relationship outside of God's ordained uh, vehicle for sexual relationships, which is marriage. Idolatry, putting anything in front of God. I mean, I don't need to go through this. This is a pretty gross list, and it, it, just, it just highlights works of the flesh. The point here is not to focus on any one of these but to show how this is what the lifestyle represented by the flesh looks like. One commentator said, the only thing the sinful nature can produce is an unchaste, unholy, uncharitable, and undisciplined life. Right? Harsh. But the only thing the sinful, that's the only thing the sinful nature can produce. Unchaste, unholy, uncharitable, undisciplined. And that's what you get at when you look at Verses 19 through 21. They are anti spirit. They are worldly. They are what comes naturally from our own efforts. And then he has this very dire warning in verse 21 I warn you as I warned you before that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. That's scary, right? You look at that list. You don't have to tell me which one, but show of hands, how many people have done something on that list? (laughs) Okay. You don't have to tell me which one, doesn't matter. Paul says, look, against such things, or those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, there, it says, those who do. I'm going to get a little grammar nerdy here. Okay? The word is a participle. It's a present participle. It should be those who are doing, those who are practicing. This is habitual. This is a life dominated by unrepentant sin. Okay, Do not think because I've done these things, and maybe one of these might be one of my besetting sins. By besetting sin, that's a sin that you struggle with all the time. All right. Do not think that because you may suffer from something like that, that doesn't mean that you will not inherit the kingdom of God. Because what Paul is talking about here is a life of licentiousness, a life of one who doesn't care, of one who thinks that I've got the, the get out of hell free card, I can do whatever I want. The one who, Paul says, is using his freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. We all struggle with sin. I mean, if Paul is saying, if you do any of these things, you're not going to inherit the kingdom of God, then guess what? None of us inherit the kingdom of God. Paul cannot mean that. He's got to be talking about the idea of a life who doesn't care, who thinks that you could say, yeah, I'm a believer, and I could do whatever I want. That's the kind of life he's talking about. That's the kind of life he says, that is not, no. because you know, when, when, you know, Think about what he says at the end of Romans 5 going in Romans 6 where he says, at the end of Romans 5, he says, you know, where sin abounded, grace abounded all the more. And then he answers a question that is asked. I'll get to you in a second. He answers a question that is asked in Romans 6, where he says, then shall we continue to sin so that grace may abound? That's the mentality he's talking about. The one who thinks, I can sin, and then grace will just keep covering my sin. And Paul says, no. No, that is, that is not the way a Christian thinks. One who has been regenerated does not think that way. Okay, what was what you? you, you, you you your... You yeah, that, it. yeah, yeah. I mean, that's kind of what you see in Corinthians, right? So uh, when we were going through 1 Corinthians, they thought body doesn't matter. So I, I can, I can, you know, that was the thing in 1 in Corinthians 5 where uh, you had people going into the, or 6, am sorry, 1 uh, Corinthians 6 where you had people going into the, the, the temple prostitutes and committing all kinds of things. It's, it's just the body. The body doesn't matter. Paul says, no, your body's a temple. <laughs> your body is a dwelling place of the Holy Spirit. Same, same mentality here. The kingdom of God is a spiritual kingdom and cannot include anything that is of the flesh or anything that is of this current age. And I think what Paul's saying here is like works, whether they're of the law of the flesh cannot save. Now, it's an important warning. We should not take it lightly, nor should we allow this to shatter our assurance of salvation. Again, Paul is saying, look, this is a struggle that each believer has. This is warring within you. That's why he says, walk by the Spirit. Be led by the Spirit. And as you're led, as you're walking by faith, as you're walking by the Spirit, you will no longer fulfill or gratify or accomplish the deeds of the flesh. Now we're going to look at the fruits of the Spirit because we're kind of running out of time. Verses 22 through 24. In contrast to that which we work out of our own inherent strength, the fruit of the Spirit is that which is born in our lives through the working of the Spirit. So verses... 22, but, again, my favorite word. He's got two buts in this passage. This is a two-but passage. But, the fruit of the Spirit. Again, notice that contrast. Works of the flesh, fruit of the Spirit. Well, what is it? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And there he says, against such things. Again, indicating you can keep going. Against things like this, there is no law. That's a wonderful statement. Against things like like this, there is no law. Those who are born of the Spirit will exhibit the principles of spiritual life in their lives. Fruit. Again, Jesus says, if you abide in me, you will bear much fruit. Fruit. If you are connected and grafted into the vine by the Spirit through faith, you will bear much fruit. It will come about. That's a promise. That's not not a, you know, abide in me and maybe you'll bear fruit. (laughs) Abide in me and we'll see what happens. No, it's abide in me and you will bear much fruit. Fruit grows because the branch is alive. Fruit is the evidence of life. It is the result of life. Think of what Jesus says in Matthew twelve thirty three, where he talks about the good tree and the bad tree. Bad tree bears bad fruit. Good tree bears good fruit. Good tree is not going to bear bad fruit. Bad tree is not going to bear good fruit. It, you know, whatever your nature is, whatever the life that is flowing through you, that is the fruit that will be produced. And note what he says again at the end of verse 23. Against such things. The fruit of the Spirit. There is no law. Why? Because by the Spirit we fulfill the law. Again, through the Spirit we fulfill the law. That's that's, That's what, again, that is what has been granted to us, imputed to us by our faith in Christ. And that is what the Spirit is working in us. If you are, put it this way, if you are doing those things in verses 22 and 23... Are you a law violator? No. This is exactly what the law is is requiring you to do, right? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self control. There's no law against those things. (laughs) If everyone does what is right, you don't need the law. That's the the point Paul's making. You need the law because of sin. (laughs) The law is given because of sinfulness, because of the transgression. then in verse 24, and those of us who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Those of us in Christ by the Spirit have, this is again kind of the idea of mortification of, the, of sin, the killing of sin. Uh, as John Owen would say, be killing sin or sin be killing you, right? Um, this is the idea of putting it to death. This is that warfare again. You don't tolerate this. You don't just kind of let it go on in your life. you got to put it to death. you got to crucify it. right? What does he say in Galatians 2.20? I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. That's, that's in a nutshell the Christian life. The old you is crucified. The old you is being put to death through faith. The new you, even though you live in the flesh, the new you is guided by this life in Christ. It's a life by faith in the Son of God who loves you and, 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 and cares for you. Uh, you don't need to turn there, but I love what Paul says in Romans 13, 14. This is, this is one of St. Augustine's favorite passages. <laughs> Right? Put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ like a cloak and make no provision. Starve the flesh. That's kind of what he's saying. Don't feed the flesh. When I say that the, life is a life, the Christian life is a life by faith, it doesn't mean that we are passive in it. It just means that we are led by the Spirit. And sometimes you have to do practical things to starve the flesh. If you have a besetting sin, whatever that besetting sin may be, take steps, practical steps, to avoid the, the pitfalls of that sin. Um, you know, I can, I can go into examples and details, but I think you know what I'm talking about. Do not be discouraged by what you may seem to think is a lack of fruit in your life. We're not called to be fruit inspectors. I'm not called to look at you and examine you and see the fruit that you're growing, and say, Well, that one looks kind of sickly there. Uh, you know, this branch, eh, kind of bare there. No, fruit is produced by virtue of our union with Christ. Walk by the Spirit, walk by faith, put on the Lord Jesus Christ, and do not gratify, do not make provision for the flesh. Paul concludes, so I have to conclude with an epilogue in verses 25 and 26. If we're led by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Really, that that should be translated kind of keep in step with the Spirit or conform or follow the Spirit. Uh, If we live by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit. Let us be led by the Spirit. Let us keep in step with the Spirit. It's kind of the contrast to what he says in Galatians 3.3, are you foolish having begun by the Spirit, you're not being perfected by the flesh? No, you're going to be perfected by the Spirit. (laughs) You're led by the Spirit. This is the language of instrumentality or or means, right? The source of our life is through the Spirit. Therefore, by by the means of the Spirit, our growth and livelihood also comes. So this is a great passage, I think, that highlights the already not yet of the Christian life. We are saved... We are being saved, okay, and then we will be saved. <laughs> we are saved through our justification. There is nothing more that needs to happen for us to enter into heaven. We are justified, just like the thief on the cross. He can, you know, he can say, "I'm here because Jesus said I can be here." <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know, if you looked at the thief of the cross's life, I, the thief on the cross's life, I don't know what kind of fruit you might see other than the fruit of his belief at the very end, okay. Um, but then we are being saved. The Spirit is working in us to combat the flesh so that we no longer gratify its desires. And then we will be saved when Christ returns and we are all glorified in the twinkling of an eye. There's always going to be a struggle with the flesh and works of the flesh. Do not be discouraged. When you fail, not if you fail, when you fail, run to the throne of grace. Run to God's throne of grace Seek the grace that he desires to give. Because God gives grace liberally. God wants to forgive. God is slow to anger. And he's quick to forgive. He abounds in steadfast love and and faithfulness. It's Satan who wants to keep you from going to the throne of grace. It's Satan that works the shame in your hearts that says, I'm I'm, I'm wretched. I I, I can't go to God like this. That's not God talking to you, okay? That is Satan talking to you. That is Satan trying to drive you away from the grace that you need. Christian life is a life of faith. Never lose sight of this. We are saved by grace grace through faith. We are being saved by grace through faith. Walk by faith. And it's easy to get disheartened by our failure to walk perfectly by the Spirit, but remember, we are not under law any longer. The condemnation of the law has been removed and the flesh has been crucified, right? I, I love, I'm going to close with this. I love that line at the end of 1 Corinthians, well, it's in the middle of 1 Corinthians 6, verses 9 through 11, where he says there, kind of like what he says in Galatians 5. He says, Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral. He's going to give you a list, much like he did in the fruit, uh, works of the flesh, Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. And he says, but, three buts, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of Jesus Christ our Lord and by the Spirit of our God. That's the truth, okay? We were all those things. We were many of those things. But you were washed, you were sanctified by Christ and the Spirit. So rest in Christ and walk by faith. Let's pray. Uh, Heavenly Father, Lord, again, we thank you for uh, this truth that the fruit of the Spirit is such that comes through our vital connection and union with Christ. We pray, Lord, that you will help us to crucify the flesh so we will no longer give in to the works of the flesh. Help us, Lord, in our daily struggle with sin. Help us in our battle with the flesh. And when we fail, Lord, help us to run to your throne of grace. We know, Lord, that you love us with an unbreakable love. Help us then to... Show that love to one another and to the world. We pray this all in Jesus' name.